Just a quick service announcement to all the core queens and lords out there in the boogieverse. This episode of the podcast is proudly sponsored by Hitch Tea. A high performance tea made by two born and bred Aussie legends who were dissatisfied with the hot beverage market and wanted to introduce a viable product that would meet all of the customer's needs. This stimulating tea provides a slower release of caffeine for longer lasting energy throughout the day and provides clear conscious clarity without the freaky-deaky jitters or midday energy crashes that coffee can provide. The crew over at Hitch have kindly offered to throw in a 15% discount if you use the code RIPTIDE15. All in lower cases, that's RIPTIDE15 at the checkout of hitchtea.com. So go grab yourself a cuppa and enjoy the upcoming episode. Yow! It was all a pipe dream Watching body board enough on TV Deep at reef Watching tension repeat Seeing bakery feeds at 18 Living the dream with no sunscreen We were so keen Welcome to the Riptide Bodyboarding Podcast The home of bodyboarding Thank you for joining us on episode 45 of our Verbal Journaling And I'm your host Luke O'Connor Okay, today, ladies and gents We have an athlete who is mentioned in our intro song and so when we have someone who is mentioned in the intro song you obviously know they're one of the goats they're one of the greatest of all times nice. <laughs> brah i'm being serious oh you've already given it away now with your french accent it's pierre louis costas i was gonna give him a huge bloody run in there with all of his um achievements you know what i mean being a two times world champion a three times arika champion at the age of 33 growing up and bodyboarding in Morocco, moving back to France and honing his craft there. He's pretty much taken the world by storm. He has got the backflip on lock. He has just one of the most decorated lives in bodyboarding to date. And you can tell there's a real fire and passion in the man's eyes when you sit down and talk to him face to face. And obviously this is just um, by voice recording here, this podcast today, but by the conversation already we've had off camera um, or off mic, you can definitely still still tell he's got that passion, that desire there for bodyboarding for years to come. As I said before, I'm talking to none other than Pierre-Louis Costes. Thank you for joining us, brother. Thanks, man. I think, yeah, I think we're done, man. You just said everything. We're good. That was a good <laughs> podcast. Eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Well, I just, you know, I want to lay the scene for everyone. Like I want everyone to understand thanks. that, man. Well, thanks, thanks, for the kind, thanks for the kind words. No, no, that's sweet, bro. And I'm serious when I say it, really. Like, you know, you go back through all your stuff, man. It's people, people, you know, don't just shy away from your movies, your mag spreads, your competition results. Like, they they all stand for themselves there at the forefront of some of the best bodyboarding in the last decade. And it's a pleasure to watch you surf in comps. It's a pleasure to watch you free surf. It was a pleasure to watch you grow up here in 2008 on that big, large Australian trip you did with Sean Pine when, um, you know, everything was, was starting to take off in your, in your, in your breakthrough year. And you had that huge result in the 2009 pipeline um, challenge over there and, yeah, man, I, I, I want to take it all the way back to the start, Pierre. You know, I've, I've obviously right. pumped up your tyres and we've started with some big accolades, but let's bring it back to day one. You were born in central France and the ocean was a long way away. Yes, yes, I was not, uh, it was definitely not my destiny to be a, a professional bodyboarder or even just a, just, just a surfer. I was born in like in the centre of France, in Vichy, which is more known for their like, facial cream and, <laughs> and um basically yeah like i was born i was born there because my grandparents were living there so my mom wanted to be close and um i only discovered the ocean when i was uh, when i moved to morocco when i was about nine years old before that i was just i knew the sea because i was living after that near the sea but yeah the ocean was only discovered that when i was nine Man, and it's so wild when um, you know you you see that in your your movie Tender, which you know if, if anyone out there listening to this podcast hasn't watched, they need to 
go and um and put that on the to-do list because it's pretty much the memoirs of Pierre's life um, up to the last couple of years and it gives such a great insight and perspective on, on how his bodyboarding journey began. But, man, I want to ask you, do you have any um, Moroccan heritage in the family already before you move there? Because it's quite startling every time I look at you. You don't look French, my brother. You've got a crazy mix of cultures in there. Like, what's going on? Um, the, the, the exact story is my grandfather, uh, my father's side, moved to Morocco during the Second World, World War. And, um, and my father was born in Morocco. So I don't exactly have a Moroccan blood, but yeah, you can't, you can't, you can't say I have a history in Morocco for sure. Yeah, and like is they, that they, technically felt? I don't have because my my grand my grandmother on my father's side was French. She moved as well too, and um, yeah, that's that's the story really. So I don't have yeah like Moroccan blood, but I f- feel very uh, connected to to this country. So obviously on the passport, it's not going to officially say that you you um you have Moroccan heritage or you have a connection there. But you know, as you've just stated, clearly you you do have a connection to that country. Was that um something that really aided your bodyboarding when you first went down there, just having that connection to the landscape and the culture and things were made not easier, but um, you had a way in. Uh, to be, to be honest, it was, uh, it was harder. Uh, the fact that, um, I mean, one of the reasons it has a special place in my heart, the country is because that's, that's where I discovered bodyboarding. And that's the reason why I am here today, you know, um, so that's that's one of the biggest reasons. Like Morocco will always have a special place in my heart. The people that I met when I was younger. But when I was in Morocco back in uh, back in ninety nine two thousand, it was basically like uh, impossible to just to to leave the country and make a career. Like, and we are talking out of uh, we are talking about you know years where there was no internet. I couldn't get a. There was no magazine, no videos. I remember like to, to, to watch a movie, a bodyboarding movie, you needed to wait someone going to France or anywhere else and come back to Morocco with like a VHS tape. So the bodyboarding scene was strong. There was a lot of bodyboarders, but there was absolutely nothing, like no structure, no competitions. I, I kind of um, did the first competitions ever in Morocco. Like uh, I kind of followed that momentum. And uh, it was really, really, really the beginning of... Of everything there, so there were there were there was zero opportunity. There was no sponsors. You you were, you were not going to get any photos, any videos. Meanwhile, in places like France and Portugal and Spain and you know the rest of the world, like Australia especially, Hawaii, all those places were booming. Morocco was like kind of non-existent on the map for bodyboarding. So it was definitely it was an handicap. It was only until I moved to France that I that uh, that bodyboarding career was something that I could potentially you know, have, but in Morocco it was, it was impossible, unfortunately. Man, I'm starting to get a bit of a gist and a taste in which I'd already known already. And I think the rest of the world does Pierre as to why you've become such a legend and a, and a great of the sport, man. You, you, you had it, you had your back up against the wall from day one. If you're telling me down in Morocco and I've been lucky enough to visit that country and obviously it's in a dictatorship by, um, Led by the king of Morocco. Yeah, it's, it's, a, yeah, it's a kingdom. It's a kingdom, sorry. Yeah, kingdom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, I, I did get a little insight whilst I was there in regards to the culture and how hard it is to leave because passports aren't, aren't granted and you have to be a very special individual, i.e. athlete, to, to, to leave that country. Now, I know um, Ibrahim Adouche, is, does yes. he have a, an arrangement with the king? Um, I, I wouldn't say, uh, not, not really, to be honest, like he had, um, uh, well, basically Brahim, like is a very, uh, renowned athlete in Morocco and, um, and he received help him and all the bodyboarders from the, from the King and from the government a few years ago after doing really well in, a, in the ISA games. And, yep. um, like, it's not like, like it doesn't have like a direct connection, but, um, he has he has some great sponsors from Morocco due to what he's been achieving, which is great. But uh, in the end, like I'm going to give you a, a, a very concrete example, um, he didn't get his visa at time to go to Chile for the first competition. So 
it's hard. It's hard when you come to Mor- when you come from Morocco. It's hard also when you come from South Africa. Like those African countries get uh, struggle to get visas, and uh, it's it's still the case. I don't know if those athletes maybe sometimes have it have it a little bit easy e- easier, but sometimes they have surprises. Like Ryan just got a really really sad surprise when he couldn't get his visa at time to go to Antofagasta. So so yeah, it's still hard. It's still hard. Yeah, wow, that definitely is still hard, especially for someone of such status like um, Ibrahim. Exactly. Right? So, I mean, um, so yeah, back to the point. You you've got your back against the wall. You're 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 coming from that from that environment, which is 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 pushing you down, so to speak, and 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 not giving you opportunities where the rest of the world was receiving them. Do you feel like that was a catalyst for you to just dig deeper and to to strive more? To, to learn um, quicker and just to be a better bodyboarder? Because, man, like how were you comparing styles? Like if you weren't seeing things, how were you getting to <laughs> to know? And, like because I, I, the, only, the only way I progress is like watching um, elite riders in my own backyard or on, on tapes or in magazines and, and you could mimic those moves without physically seeing it or visualising it. It must be very difficult. Yeah, 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 it was. It was, but... The, um... I was just trying to, yeah, they, they were good bodyboarders, especially, especially one that, um, that, that, uh, was kind of my first idol. His name was Adnan Ben Sliman. He was the best, best guy, uh, best Moroccan of his generation. And he was really above everyone else. Like he was doing like IRSs and flips and inverts. And yeah, I, I just didn't even know the names of the moves so far, but I just knew that every time he was in the water, I would just watch. Like I would almost be on the beach and watch. And that was my reference for many, 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 for many years, for at least like one or two years. And to be honest, like I said, until, until someone brought uh, a movie, a VHS, and I discovered like few of the other names, you know, like, like Jeff Hubbard and Andre Bota. That's, that's when I started to, to, to realize that bodybuilding was massive. Like for me, I was just in my bubble in Morocco doing, doing what I love just going on the beach and then this movie came and I realized that I was like, I was doing almost another sport. Like I was watching this guy going crazy in Hawaii great at pipeline. And I was like, wow, that's, that's, that's something else. Like I honestly didn't think I would ever be um, like a professional, but a professional bodyboarder. Yeah. But I think a lot of people around your local town uh, in Morocco at the time, which is, um, uh, got, has gone over my head, but man, in the movie Tender, it's clearly stated by a lot of people that have interviewed, been interviewed for it, that were close to you during that time growing up in Morocco. Man, like you were the crazy kid down at the beach that just wouldn't get out of the water. Like you were the, you were the, the individual that everyone looked at and just gone, wow, he's just, he's just obsessed with this sport, you know? Like what, what was that like growing up? In, in in Morocco and just being at the beach 24-7, like having that obsession. Yeah, yeah. Like I think, yeah, um, my mom, my mom used to love, used to love to go on the beach. You know, my mom used to like bring me on the beach every time she could. I remember, I think it was on the weekends and singing the Wednesdays afternoon, like she would go like on the beach and I would just, yeah, basically spend my entire time in the ocean. Like, uh, just because I really loved it. And also because, um, like, my childhood was not like easy, like um, I don't having my father near with all the family issues we had at home. So I feel like the ocean was definitely like a like a refuge, you know. I was going in the ocean, and like all the all the problems would just would go away. And the more time I spent in the ocean, the you know the more time I was <laughs> I was away from land. And and uh, yeah, and after you know you know the feeling when you surf for so long, when you surfed out, you just feel so happy. And I think that feeling was just very addictive and I just wanted to be yeah, feeling this like the whole time. So yeah, it wasn't really about trying to be professional, to be honest, like trying to be really good. It was about really to, yeah, just to spend as much time as I could in the ocean. And to wash away all the, yeah, the negative thoughts and exactly. um, experiences that you were, yeah, you were copping on land. And it was quite evident too um, in the movie Tender Pierre. And I'll, I'll keep referring back to this whole podcast because it pretty much is a memoir of your life. Um, when you went back up to France, um, and obviously after uh, the not altercation with your father, but the the incident, and um, you know him leaving the family, and, and you guys have been left on your own in quite what it seemed like a, an expensive country, and, and France 
still to this day is you know one of the the um, first world leaders. So yes, going back from there from Morocco, man, and and coming in and you know going to that that new kind of Western world again, which you you've already come from. What was it like? Um, going back there, bodyboarding, and 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 what was the changes that you felt from Morocco to France? Um, yeah, so to track. Okay, so so when I was in Morocco, one one French uh, one one French professional bodyboarder called Frakera back in the day, like he was uh, one of the best from his generation, came to Morocco to do camp, to do surf camp, and that's when he met Adnan, that first uh, bodyboarder I told you about. And he talked to my mom to invite me on that surf camp. So I was like, uh, I, I, I joined him. And after that camp finished uh, in Morocco, he had another chat with my mom and told her that uh, that he that I had a, that I had potential. Like he like it was the first time he was watching a kid that young with this level, and he promised that us if if if, if for some reason we decided to go back to to France, it would help me uh, finding sponsors, joining his club, uh, his surfing club, and bring me to the competitions and try to help us settle in. So um, that's one of the reasons. One one of the one of the reasons we moved there. But this, the the main reason is because we were literally like um, left without money uh, in Morocco, and we couldn't live in Mor- we couldn't live in Morocco, and. Um, as French citizen, we it was just a, a normal move to go back to France. So even though it's it's um, yeah it's an expensive country, but it was very uh, we had all the help uh, needed. We so the 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 ambassador of France paid us uh, bus tickets to go back to to France, and um, and after that, like we had. Everything that a French citizen, you know, without money, uh, can expect, which, which is free accommodation, uh, at least for until we get to my mom get a job. But um, yeah, we were re- like, to be honest, like the being being French is definitely um, a positive thing and a big help, you know, uh, for 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 a human and for for someone that travels. So. So we were, we, we, I guess we were lucky being French citizen. Like we, we, our life got really easy when we moved to France, and uh, from from that move, we, I, I, I did uh, get sponsored. I did uh, participate in the first events, and yeah, and the story kind of started uh, started here. That's so that's so wild to hear, man. It's so good to hear that you were looked after your your home country like that. And I guess if you travel yeah. anywhere. I can't complain. I can't complain. Like you know, every time I see like the riots in France, I'm like, well, I mean, I mean, I I, I respect an aspect of it of people fighting for some rights, but we French, I think, are super lucky, (laughs) and I'm the I am like the first example. Like I can only say good things about France, and I would never like complain because it's it's great it's honestly great for sure and i think humans um innately we always look on the negative side first rather than the positive and we're always quick to complain and, and i totally agree you've got to realize that the grass is always greener on your side and and just from the story just told there in regards to um you know your home country just giving you uh, refuge after such a turn of events and then setting you up again and 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 obviously you know, decades down the track, you can now see the results. Like you've 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 created a, a beautiful family of, of your own. You've won world titles. You're, you know, you've set up your whole life through the sport of bodyboarding. It's it's a full success story, man. But you know, taking it back to moving back to France and where you where you turned up, how on earth did you get a place right in front of Le Grab? Oh, how yeah. did you do that? Yeah, like, what great... were the odds of that happening? Because you were like, you you, you were right in front of the main track. I, I I couldn't believe it when I went there a couple of years ago. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, it's a long story. I didn't I didn't go str- I didn't go straight there. I went first to we 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 first went to the church because <laughs> we were, we had no money and that's the first place. Church. It was a church in Bayonne in the Basque Country. 
I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know exactly the name in English, but basically it's a place where the church receives people in, in, in need. Okay, so we, we, we were those persons at that moment because when I say we, had, we didn't have money, we didn't have money. And my mom needed to do all the paper to receive like help for accommodation, for, for everything until she get like her, her help. So until that, until she made the paper, we, we, we needed to stay there. So that was in Bayonne. And after we moved to, we stayed at a friend's place called Eric Gamez. And I was very grateful for, for what he did to, to my family. I'm always grateful every time I see him. Because Doesn't Eric he, run the Cook Islands camp? Yeah, 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 he does. He does. He's there in the Cook Islands now. He really completely changed life, but he was one of the first person that helped us when, when we moved to, when we moved to France. So shout out to Eric. Yeah, huge, 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 huge shout out. Him and Frank were those were incredible people uh, in my life. And um, after that, we got an apartment in Bayonne. So I uh, joined school in Bayonne. Uh, I was in, uh, in high school in Bayonne for three years. And um, the story is really random. Like we were going, we were going to Osago because I was uh, at the Osago Surf Club with Frank. Okay, so I was in Osago. Surfing pretty much, a little bit in Basque Country, but a lot in Hostago. I was going surfing a lot in Hostago. Where train. are you surfing in the Basque Country? If, if I can um, ask you quick, yeah. Just Biarritz, Anglet, all those beaches in Anglet. Yes, Mostly yes. Anglet, yeah. But um, but I, I was training twice a week with uh, Frank. So I had, I had to go to Hostago. And, and what uh, did the training, um, I, I don't want to keep interrupting you, but what did the rest. training consist of? Yeah, yeah it, it was pretty interesting because we are talking about... So when Frank talked to my mom back in Morocco, he told her that he's just created, I mean, the first like bodyboarding, uh, not school, but uh, group, the first bodyboarding group. So that was the first in France. He was, he was the first guy that created a bodyboarding group co- that consisted of maybe five, five people, maybe. We were five. So he had a bodyboarding group. That was the first in France. No one, no school in France had bodyboarding had bodyboarders, no one. So we're, talk, we're, we're talking about something pretty crazy. Yeah. So he was, um, so yeah, so I joined that group. I joined that group. He later too introduced me to, to, to rip curl, something that he told my mom that did really happen, which was, which was great to be honest. And, um, yeah, so, so basically I joined the, I joined his school and, um, yeah, it was just a normal, yeah, normal thing. Like tra- tra- train twice, uh, twice, twice a week, maybe, maybe three times on the in holidays during the. And host- was training like simulated like surf sessions. Was it like certain um, weightlifting, stretching? Like what? What was a go? Like like all the schools are doing now, uh, but that was just the beginning. He was just giving advices because he was a professional bodyboarder too. He made like, uh, he had his success. He was sponsored by Rip Curl. He entered the pipe comp. So he, he, he was a big name as a bodyboarder in France. So he knew what he was doing. He was a good teacher because it's, you, sometimes it's not, being a good bodyboarder is not enough. You also have to be a good teacher. And he was a good teacher, a really good teacher. Um, and he brought us to the first competitions too. That was great. Like we had a van. He was bringing his group of Mostly kids, mostly teenagers, to the to the like to the nationals. Uh, so yeah, that was pretty. That was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. And for me, it was such a different world. I went from being like in the jungle in Morocco, like everything, like you know, not structure. Everyone on the beach having fun, you know, just everyone smoking weed. <laughs> and from <laughs> going to amazing, really. Yeah, going to, like to France, like everything being super structured. You need to pay. Um, the school to, have, to be federated, you need to do uh, uh, physical tests to be accepted. Like it was crazy. It was something. It was very different. Now in Morocco, it's it's like that, you know. But Morocco now, 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 now there is opportunity for people in Morocco. I'm super happy to see that now you can make a career out of uh, Morocco. Now there is school. The super structure. The federation is big. But before there was not even federation. <laughs> like now it's. Complete, no, it was completely different. So, so yeah, that was basically yeah uh, the deal. Uh, com- training like twice a week, maybe, but everything went pretty fast. Like uh, to be honest, like I joined the school when I was twelve, and at fifteen I was already already traveling to Australia or in Hawaii, and everything went pretty fast. 
Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. It was actually incredible to see your career take off. And we're, we're pretty much exactly the same age. You're born on the 25th of January, I believe. I'm born yes. on the 6th of Jan, 1990. So we're, we're both oh, 33, cool. man. I remember watching um, your career, obviously being a very keen bodyboarder. And yeah. Really especially when you came over to Australia, but more so, man, one of the big things I noticed, and I know I know you remember this section very well, and I've mentioned this on the podcast before with Mitch Woodland, the Leroy <laughs> section, bro. Yeah. You went over to the Cook Islands with the fellas, and that was one of the first times that I had seen your bodyboarding, one of the first times that I had seen your face, one of the first times I had seen your mannerisms, and it struck me it's 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 it left a mark on me because I, I I could tell straight I was like this kid is different because I'm used to seeing you know like a young Australian bodyboarder you, you're used to seeing like Sam Strachan look alike people's like long blonde fringes you know like yeah. torn up jeans all this kind of stuff and then you come along with this 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 European and I guess African spice and yeah, put black the, hair <laughs> yeah 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 oh yeah and obviously but no, but the way you you held yourself, man, and even in those interviews when they were like putting words in your mouth and like mucking yeah. around and all this kind of stuff, bro, like you could tell there was like something different about you, and it was um, and it's obviously pretty much played out to this day. Like you've gone on to great and amazing things, and and it, it was I'm glad I I, I kind of um was on the money there when I when when I first saw you because I was like, man, like this guy, some and 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 it's and it's mentioned throughout the DVD, you know, like that you're the dark horse you're the fellow that's like oh, i just can't put my finger on him blah blah blah, blah. How, how was it you know going into that side of bodyboarding because you know from from a young age you've you've been france morocco france i know you know europe has a, a huge mix of cultures and it's, it's a lot more culturally diverse than our bogan island down here in australia but what was it like mixing with 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 those fellows at a young age and was it surprising to see the different styles of bodyboarding yeah yeah uh this this trip was uh very very special then just the way it happened i still remember um receiving uh, an email from 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 movement so probably from ben um joy, uh, inviting me to to do this trip uh telling me they're gonna i could i, I couldn't even speak english i think back then so Everything was was hard. Like I was like, yeah, I think I'm invited for that trip. Sounds pretty good, but uh, but it was yeah, it was kind of a mission to get there from France. Like I think that's when uh, when I when I wrote the destination, I, I had no idea where where, where was Cook Island. I just realized that that was the furthest I could go uh, from Europe. So so yeah, that was that was pretty cool. I remember like the way we organized it. Like it was. Like none of us had credit card at home, so to buy the ticket, we need to send money to through West through Western Union to to Max Arendt. I remember oh, yeah. he he was the guy like uh, in touch with me, like he was gonna be the one receiving me um, uh, at the airport. Um, I think Ben probably like put uh, put him in contact with me, so I was like chatting with Max through, uh, by email, trying to organize that trip, and uh, so yeah, send money to. Through through Western Union, then it then 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 he went to get the money to buy me the ticket from Sydney to Rarotonga, and yeah, I just it's just crazy like how hard everything was compared to now. Now just everything's so easy, but now you have like, I mean everything's so easy now. But, oh man, you open up your phone and your details are already yeah. populated into pages for you, which is kind of scary for you for you. Data safety, is. like moving forward, but man, like you can just you can book things in. And I've been like, I, I, I've almost been scammed like in the last three months, like on four occasions. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? yeah, you have to be careful. So careful. Oh, it's psycho. It's gone fully the other way. But yeah, sorry, you were saying it was very difficult. With to yeah, be- just super, super, super difficult. But um, super difficult. But we 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 put it off. Like every ticket ticket were booked. Um, I think I was flying to. I think I had to find Christmas Day too, but I remember I went to um, to Hawaii after that. So I was trying. I, 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 it was like a round the world ticket kind of thing, but I remember like booking one, yeah, return ticket to Australia. And from Australia, I went to Cook Island and went, came back to Australia, and then went went to Hawaii and came back to Australia in order to go back uh, to go back home. I remember, yeah, those tickets were pretty pretty crazy, and I was fifteen, so that was pretty intense. 
like for my mum to leave me yeah, like that. That's a lot of traveling for 15. Were you doing that by yourself? Yeah, yeah, everything by myself. Fuck everything man. by myself. I'm sorry, man. Like at 15, <laughs> by yourself, going from the other side of the world to the Cook Islands, which is, you know, a third world country, an island in the middle of the fucking Pacific. Like I'm not saying it's a not a beautiful place, but it's not the most. Um, you know, resourceful place in the world. And then you're going to go to Hawaii and then Australia and then go back to fucking France. Like what were you, what was your mum saying at the time, brother? I don't know. To be be honest, like it's pretty crazy. Like I'm have a son now and like it's to leave your son, like he's at 15. I mean, she believed in me a lot, but well, like, I mean, I don't, I don't even know. Like, honestly, I think, I don't know, just good karma, I guess, like good energy, like, and 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 some 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 things happen, like shit shit happened, like uh, I remember, um, I remember going to so after that trip to Cook Island, I remember going to Hawaii, and I arrived in Hawaii and I mess around with the ticket with the I, I can't remember what I did, but I, I did a mistake with the tickets, and I, I just arrived in in Honolulu. Was basically so I don't have a phone. Imagine you don't have a phone to contact anyone. You just realize you did a big mistake. I think maybe like I don't remember what I did, but it had something to do with uh, with my flight and uh, to Maui because I had to go to Maui. I remember that I had to go to Maui. And um, why did you have to go to Maui for the comp? There was an ABA comp. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You oh, the right hand. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I think yeah, the Honolulu Bay area, the second yeah. edition, I think. So I arrive, I'm, in, I'm at the airport and I just realized that I did a mistake and I have no way to get there because I don't have a credit card. I don't have, everything is closed because it's, it's Christmas. It was Christmas day. And, um, and I saw, and I, and I crossed by Michael Novi. Okay. <laughs> yeah. As I what knew the odds. Yeah. But I, I, I could barely, I couldn't, I couldn't speak. And at that time, Novi was kind of my idol because like I, I remember the visions movie it was about, about the, the same same moment and i just remember that face from the vision movie and i tried and, I, and I, i'm like disesperated but i think it kind of, it, it, i don't know if you knew me i oh, yeah, knew me because um we had a cop in australia remember when i when i remember when i went to the national in australia yeah yeah i do yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Partner, didn't you um, I don't remember. No, I stayed with Amori. It was like a long time ago. I was 15. That was early 2005, I think. I can't remember. definitely the first time we met, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, probably. So, yeah, so I, I, did, a, I did a comp with him. Um, yeah, I did a comp with him. So, I think he remembered me. So, he came to say hello and asking me if I was fine and everything. And um, that obviously, I wasn't fine. Like, I had no money to go to Maui because I, 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 all, all I had was like travel check to change money at the bank. And he like was super nice. Like I will never forget. Like he was like he took money out. He bought my he bought my plane ticket, and we flew to Maui together. And we were in Maui. He had he had everything sorted with all the other guys. And yeah, and, and I just found myself staying at a house just full of Aussie, like Josh Kirkman, uh, John Shawell, uh Andrew Lester. Like just a house full oh. of Australia. I was fifteen. I was like like living a dream. But I I, I remember that attitude from Novi. I, I don't have. Um, now maybe that is a good time to say thank you to him like for people listening like he was I'll never forget that attitude like he didn't have to like honestly like he could just walk away and oh bro and especially for like but he just came to me it yeah. been good, to, good, good to have you out of the competition he should have just left his money in his pocket oh, I, was, I was 15 I was 15 I probably I probably got knocked first round I don't remember but <laughs> just his attitude <laughs> was really really nice so yeah that's cool. That's, That's it, cool. Man. That's so good. Oi, I'm just going to wee my pants if we go any further. Can I have like a five second break, Pierre? Of course. The Prince of Night, Pierre Louis. I heard you got a hot wife. And that you're now over in Maui staying in a house full of crazy Australian bodyboarders. What happens next? Uh, what happened next? Well, there's, there's so many things to, to say. I'm living, I'm kind of living uh, the conversation. Like we were talking about that trip to Cook Island. If I start saying everything, you know, uh, we'll. This podcast is going to be 10 hours. So, uh, <laughs> so I was, so yeah, so back to the Cook Island trip. Yeah, it was super cool, like to meet, you know, like all the, all the Australian guy. Because yeah, something I realized, and it now it's completely different, is I had nothing, no one to compare myself with. Like I was just surfing, like 
trying to be uh, competing with myself only. You know, like I had no direct. Uh, they, they, they were good guys. They were good guys, but um, I was most of the time alone. You know, surfing, and um, it was the first time I was directly confronted to people my age, uh, and I was and I, I really loved it. To be honest, I really loved um, being able to surf, being being able to watch uh, watch them and try to learn from them because they had such a good style. You know, that was, that was the first thing that, um, you know, that blew my mind was the style for me. Like, uh, the, uh, it was like Dave Crowley, Tom, Tim Wilson, no, Tom Wilson, Tom Wilson, Tom Wilson. Yep. Yeah. I remember, uh, it was there Max Arendt, uh, Mitch, Mitch Wilden. Yeah. Well, all the guys were doing things that I, I, I um, I was, I, I was, I think I was more like, um, like I was very, like technical, very, um, like I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew how to do like a lot of moves, but it was a very, it was a very competitive way because that's how it's because, because of the way I learned in France. But for the first time I was really watching kids, like young people surfing with flow style, not force, not forcing the moves. And, uh, that's the first time that I really like kind of decided like, okay, I need to, that's how I want to surf. I want to surf like, like an Australian. Well, man, and you know, you've been the pretty much the main catalyst in my eyes at the forefront of changing the European style um, and going towards more of a style and flow based approach, because what you just said to me just resonates so heavily with me. When you just said Europeans knew how to do all the moves, but weren't so style based, that's exactly how I remember it or how I see it. You know, I work with um, uh, Sean Cooper, a yeah. local boot from like Wollongong, and he did the world tour back in the day. Yeah, I remember. He would always, yeah, man. And mm, I remember Sean Cooper. Sorry? I remember Sean Cooper, yeah. Yeah, yeah, fuck, legend of a dude, man. And um, he would always say, like in the competitions, um, the Europeans would always ride – an inch or two bigger boards would always smoke us in waves, anything under like four foot because they're just always landing those moves, but they're landing those moves, not without a degree of difficulty, but they're landing those moves with probably not the same style and flow, but with yourself over the last decade and, you know, you can see it getting passed down through the generations, man, especially in Portugal and Tony Sabraia, um, Mini like Miguel Coelho, uh, yeah. Jamal, like all these boys and and girls for for that matter, are just starting to take on that ethos of of good style at high level bodyboarding. And you were the missing link, bros. I'm telling you now because no one was surfing like you are now in Europe or in South America back in the day. And because of what you've done for the sport and what you've and how you've connected it up. You went and experienced the Australian culture and then you mixed it in with epic competitive flair and just drive. Us Australians, bro, we've got drive in certain ways, but we're lazy pricks, you know what I mean? We've got it too good here, man, you know what I mean? Like we've got too many good waves. We just fucking, you know, we don't worry so much about competition. We just carry on and think the world's going to come to us. And in certain ways it does with surfing because and bodyboarding because we've got – a mecca here, but you know, it's really evident to kind of round this point back that you know you've encapsulated the, like those those qualities that have made you the fully rounded bodyboarder. And you know, going through this, going through your life right now with you, Pierre, it's 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 evident with all the spots of like you you had the hardship, you had the drive, you had the physical ability, you then had the um, the breakthrough moment of seeing where the sport's going and, and where you want to take it. And then you just, you've just taken it, bro. Like it's, it's impressive as hell. You know what I mean? Because you, you, you were the one to start it. Like that you got to, to take a bow for that because like it was, it, you know, personally, and this might sound harsh. It was hard watching different bodyboarding back in the day because you could appreciate how good it was, but it just wasn't pleasing to the eye. So like you've it's the missing link, bruh. Fucking happy days. No thanks, bro. I'm the missing link. You <laughs> <laughs> You're Neo, bro. It's the matrix. Yeah, missing link. <laughs> well I mean yeah, thanks thanks a lot, bro. I really appreciate your words. And um 
Yeah, like I said, like I, I, I was already in love with like, like Ryan Hardy, for example. I watched Hard Life. I was fourteen, fifteen, and I like completely changed my mind. But then it's something else when you watch young people, like you know, Mini Hardy is everywhere. You know, Hardy was like you know, the greatest, and then you see all these people trying to surf like him, and then you know you had Ben, Winnie, Rollins, of course. But I really feel Hardy was like. You know, the one that also, you know, like, I don't know, Ryan Hardy has had a huge influence on me on Australia, of course. And I think that, and I think a lot of people today are, you know, like, are being inspired by, you know, the influence of Ryan Hardy. So, yeah, I mean, Australia had a huge influence in general to, 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 to bodyboarding. And it was, it, 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 it was the, yeah, it was the nation that had the most influence on me, the way people surf was just, yeah, just something else. And people surf like Australian today. It's crazy. Like you go to South America, Europe, Canaries. It's just, yeah, it's, it, it did happen. <laughs> oh man, it, it certainly happened. And that's why I'm bringing it up. It, it's so evident. Like even watching Moises Silverman pump that yeah. ridiculous air reverse um, in, uh, in, in Brazil, in Brazil. Yeah. Brazil, yeah. I was yeah, yeah. mixed with Agrik in Brazil, but yeah, like that was, such a good air reverse and the style in which he did it. He didn't just try and get it out of the bowl without any sort of style and legs and, um, you know, any sort of aesthetics to just get the score and, and win the heat. Man, I, I watched that air reverse like four or five times on replay, just going like great timing, amazing style. His body's so compact. Everything's, you know, bam, bam, bam. And listening to a podcast with you and Jay Real only a couple of months ago, and you giving the, the the advice on style in regards to keeping your body close, tight knit, and kind of sprung together. Um, so when you do those moves, you you, you are you are um, you know controlling all your your limbs and everything. Those those sort of um, those sort of patterns and those sort of those sort that sort of influence that you've 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 passed down is now infecting like the rest of the world. So we've we've you're you're in Maui, you're spending time with all these Australians, yeah. you're picking up this style, and now you're you're moving into the spotlight and Hawaii seasons are becoming a regular, um, yeah. a, a regular thing on your calendar. You're looking to travel around the world and this is where your career really kicks off at the age of fifteen. Can you can you Yeah, I would, I, would, I would agree. Yeah. I would agree fifteen was a big was the transition for me. Because okay. thirteen and fourteen I was travelling with older French people. I, will, I, I, I went to Hawaii before, I went to Australia before, but always um, with people, uh, you know, under the arm of someone. But 15 was really when I kind of, when I flew on my own, really. That's, and, that, and by, by being alone, not, organ, not organ, organizing anything, that lot of cool, lot of cool things happened. A lot of bad things could have, ha- could, could have, have happened, but they didn't, lucky. And yeah, 15 was, so yeah, I went to that house in Maui, from that house in Maui, I organized my accommodation in in uh, at Pipe at Hawaii. Um, from that, um, yeah, I, I had a, I, uh, that was the year I did um, I did uh, like a big IRS at Pipe. I don't, I don't sure remember. I remember that airburst, and you almost were decapitated on the the landing. Yeah, so yeah, the story is I couldn't I couldn't speak English, and I didn't know how much I needed, and. I just couldn't understand exactly how big the wave was. I just remember that was like last minute. I just, I just went for it, but uh, in the moment, I, I, I was just bummed. I didn't make the hit, but um, from that season in Hawaii, from that moment, I think that moment was kind of something that people were talking about. And after that, that season in Hawaii, so that was my third season in Hawaii, but like the real first, I would say, professional one when I was really like, like trying to show myself. The other one, I was more like learning. This one was really the one that was like in full, like, um, you know, like I was emerged with the Australian people. They were, it, it, was, it was different. I, I stayed in three different houses, three different houses of Australian people. Like I met everyone. And after that, that season, yeah, every, everything changed. I was, I was offered seven, seven board contract after that season. Seven? Yeah. Holy fuck, Pierre. That is a... An amazing achievement, bro. You had seven ball companies at one time chasing yeah. after your name. So it was a very moment that I had to choose a direction. And I, I actually, the one I follow is kind of the same one I'm going in now. It's like the same, kind of the same pattern. So I choose to work with, um, 
I worked with to I, I signed with NMD. I signed with NMD through through um, through the European distributor, which was uh, Imanol Arizabalaga, which is also a very important person in a, in my career that really guided me in those early years. And um, and after that, I went to Versus, <laughs> and after that, I went to uh, to Pride in two thousand eleven. So why do you laugh about Versus? No, no, just because I moved, you know, like, uh, like from, I went to NMD and then I went to Versus, you know, like. Which is pretty much the same company. I, I love more because like, it was, I don't, I didn't feel I deserved to be in that team because Mitch was in that team with, uh, Versus Jared Gibson. And Nez talked about the concept to Emmanuel, which was a shaper versus a rider. And. And then I felt just like I, I didn't fit in there. Like I'm, I was nowhere near uh, the level of Rollins. Nowhere near. I was. I, I didn't have the same image. I felt I, I didn't. It didn't feel right. But they saw that something. You know, they saw that maybe it was something cool for Europe. Maybe I don't know. And then Hardy came along, and I, I really felt like what am what am I what am I doing in that team? But dude, how old were you when you're comparing yourself to Rollins being on the same team? Oh, I was. Uh, I was seventeen. Yeah, bro. So maybe like you know, you haven't even finished puberty yet. Maybe yeah, yeah, but <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? Like you've been. I, I guess this is why you've reached such lofty heights, and, and you are a two times world champion, man. But like, bro, but yeah, comparing yourself to Rawlins at the age of at seventeen, that's a great benchmark to have. Just being in a team with them was just felt. It was incredible. It was incredible. I was super proud, but I felt like who who is gonna buy my ball? Like, yeah, I'm like <laughs> Rollins model. Hardy's model, and then you have mine. You know, I'm 70 years old from friends. I was like, okay, like, that's cool. Yeah, that's but cool. isn't it cool, though, <laughs> that you, like, you know, I, I don't want to see it too much away from your story, man, but let's just make a comparison right here and now. Think about the state of, say, a 17 or 18-year-old coming up in today's bodyboarding world, which has been rebuilt in, in certain ways, compared to what you had coming up at the age of, like, 15, 16, 17. You had – obviously, your skill level is ridiculous, and if anyone needs to have that reiterated, they need to go back and watch that era verse we just spoke about at Pipe because yeah. you come down around, like, a 10-foot – barrel in section and don't just try and lock in for a barrel and stall you just come straight around it and go straight towards the lip and 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 don't just do an air reverse off the back or up like your air reverse is on the 45 degree angle from the lip which everyone knows is going to be out into the flats and up into the air so you're going to have one of the most crazy landings going around but you being on that level at such a young age and then having seven board sponsors thrown at you at that time. I mean, you look at like, say, example, someone, Liam Lucas right now, and I use him as an example a lot. I know he's, he's a little bit older now, but as he was coming up at that time, there was no way he was getting seven board sponsors thrown at him and there was no way he's even getting money thrown at him for a, a travel budget. You know what it I mean? Was, it, was a, it was a different era too. No, but it was a different was era, man. Booming, it was so you know? cool to see that you had that opportunity after you'd put so much work in and time and effort and you've gone through much hardship. It's not like you didn't go through hardship yourself, but there was, there was that golden ticket, man. You know what I mean? And you, and you, you could leapfrog off it and you fucking leapfrogged off it, man. You went from, you, you, you went from strengths to strengths. Like, can we just talk about the, um, the rip curl sponsorship? Like, you know, yeah. for a bodyboarder to be sponsored by rip curl, is a big, big thing. And I've spoken to Andrew Lester on the podcast previously about, you know, being sponsored by Billabong and only the, the elites of the elites, like the Hardys. And let, the me just, sorry, let me and just, let me just, my son is just calling me. Let me just see what's happening. I'll be, one minute. Yeah, bro, I'll do sorry, it. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Happy day. Psychos out of Cyclops, dropping down on dry rocks. Rip Curl, yeah. So we wanted to talk about Pierre's journey with Rip Curl and how it started after that 2000 and... Was it five or six breakthrough season? Yes. 2000, yeah, 2005, 2006, like Hawaii season, you know. It used to be like in two parts, like end of the year, because the comp used to be in January. Yes, it did used to be January. Yeah, yeah. Late January, wasn't it? So everyone would, a lot of people would spend the Christmas in Hawaii and New Year's. I remember spending the New Year's, well, I did nothing actually. I just slept at 11, 10 p.m., but <laughs> I just remember. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. It's like, hey, man, there's waves tomorrow. Who cares about saying that? Yeah, fully. Almost not remembering. Like, it was just different. 
I know, oh. I know. And also, too, like even as you get older, man, you just realise all those celebrations, they're fun to be a part of, but they don't mean anything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's fun. But it was funny. I was just joining the movement. Everyone just went to bed. I was like, okay, let's go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> Waves tomorrow, 10 foot pipes. It's it was like 9 p.m., yeah. maybe, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, man, Rip Curl, bro, how did the relationship start? Uh, the relationship stopped, so the the relationship uh, started, like I told you before, I was promised when I moved back to France that I would sign with Ripco via uh, Frank Era. And, um, and, it, and, and one of the first things I did, like uh, the first months I was in France, was going to the office and sign a, sign a contract. Sign a contract, a very small contract, which was just closed, right? But uh, at the moment, there was a lot of bodyboarders. Uh, Ripka was investing a lot into bodyboarding. So they had a big team, maybe 20, 20 people, maybe 20 athletes from France, just. And uh, so there was like a full momentum for like a couple of years and a couple of years, maybe two years. And after, by the third year, there were only three people riding for Ripka, including wow. one, uh, one girl called Eloise Bourou and one guy called Cédric Dufort. And two years after that, that was just, it was just me. So, and how long did you hold that for? Uh, I was I, I was for Ripco for eighteen years. That is incredible. Yeah, man. yeah, that, eighteen years. Yeah, that is incredible, man. From the age. So I was uh, I was let me do the math correctly. I was eleven. Well, I was eleven exactly. I was eleven, and I quit Ripco when I was twenty nine. So yeah, that's eighteen years. Yeah. That's just, insane. Just, yeah. Brother, that's 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 crazy. That's Rip Curl are one of the biggest surfing brands in the world, if not the biggest. Like three times yeah. world champion McBanning has made a career saddled up with that company. Like it's they're synonymous all around the world. It's just been one of the best wetsuit brands. So to be with them for eighteen years it would have been such a privilege. Hey, you feel like it It was cool. It was cool. Like I was I went from literally like like I arrived from Morocco to France with no money. So I had, and I was going to high school and you know, you know, the high school can be pretty cruel. I never, yeah. I was kind of strong mentally, but as soon as I arrived to high school, you know, I heard things, people were talking, I had, my clothes were not, were cheap, were like, I had cheap clothes, you know, from cheap brand. My shoes were, were not Nike or Adidas. They were like shit shoes. My mom didn't have money. So she was buying what she could from secondhand shop. And the kids saw, 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 saw that and they were making fun. And two months later, I was running for Ripco, arriving at school with like all the new clothes, all the new like jumpers and everything. And it was, it was cool. I, I suddenly became like the cool kid in school from being the almost immigrant, you know? <laughs> it was cool. It was so cool. funny how it can change, eh? Yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's kind of cruel. It's pretty, pretty sad, but it's. It's I, it did affect me. Like I was, I, I was kind of strong mentally. Like for some reason at that young age, maybe because I was coming from Morocco, I had I enjoyed life there. So when I arrived in France, it didn't really affect me. But it was cool. Like it didn't change the person I was. You know, I was, I was. I just thought that it was yeah, sad. Yeah, well, man. Well, it is, and it shows that you you've got your head in the the, the right place. You're not valuing. Um, you know, materialistic crap, to be perfectly honest. Don't get me wrong, having you nice clothes and Raquel's amazing. That would have been a great feeling, but it doesn't make you a better person or a better, a better bodyboarder. That brand just wants to invest time and money into you because they can see the potential for you to catapult their brand into um, the next years of the sport. So, like, yeah, it, it, it is a bit sad. And I've got a young child, Pierre, and I don't want to um, harp on about it too much, man, but, like, when he goes to school, I'm I'm dreading the day. You know what I mean? Because I <laughs> yeah, I got bullied in school too, man. And I think we all do at some stage. And it's really not nice. It's tough, and it it hardens you up. And and you know you, you, you're going to experience that in life one way or another. If it's not at school, it's going to be later on anyway. But yeah, it's um it's crazy. But back to my point, it just shows you how 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 much your head was in the game, bro. You know what I mean? I know you were coming from a less advantaged position, but you didn't care about clothes. You didn't care about that. You just wanted to go Bergen and you just wanted to be the best bodyboarder you could. And obviously Rip Curl's 
Rip Girls helped you along the way. So after that time at school, what was it? Um, what was the journey like after that? Did you start going on trips with them? Did you? Get yeah, yeah. Like Everything went really fast. I only did um, I only did two years in high school. Um, because so I was like training uh, when I could. I was doing the nationals, the European Championship, and by the time I was fifteen, uh, yeah, like I said, I flew to Hawaii and. Um, so I did. I, I started to do homeschool when I was uh, 15. So I only did two years in high school, really. Um, That's like a... Yeah, like I mean, it was it was a big choice for my parents, especially for my mom. Like it was maybe the biggest sacrifice I did in, in my life because homeschool back then was different. Like there was no internet. I was receiving my books. Uh, I had no, no teacher to explain me via you know like a Skype meeting or a Skype video. So it was really difficult to get education through with homeschool. And I was going to Hawaii with, people will remember that. Like I was going with maybe 10 kilos of book. I needed to make my exam, send them by mail. It was, it was hard. It was really hard to follow up. Like by the time I was 17, I, it was just too intense. But when I was 17, I basically quit school because I couldn't, I, could, I couldn't. I had choices. I had to make choices. It was literally like follow the tour or, or give priority to my education. And I was getting, I was getting paid at seventeen, so I was okay. I'm. It, it seemed like the best choice. I'm happy I did it, but it was, it was, it was difficult. It was difficult. Dude, the whole bodyboarding world is happy you did it. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's looking at it now. It was yeah. It was it was a, it was a tough sacrifice, but I'm I'm super happy I did it. Of course. Yeah, man, one hundred percent. And as I said before, the whole bodyboarding world. Well, it is, but it would have been a crazy sacrifice at the time, and schooling, especially from a parent's point of view, is it's, um, it's even more than just school. It was more about the um, the teenager years that I kind of sacrificed. Like it was everything very, like so. I didn't go to school, so I didn't live the normal teenager life. Like I completely skipped that. Yeah, you didn't. I went from thirteen, fourteen in high school those. to hanging out with adults. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it was very, very yeah. different. You had to grow up very quick. I grew up very quick, so I, I definitely <laughs> skipped some some things, you know, things that I didn't live as a teenager, but that maybe I reflect on on me today. I know that it's because of skipping very important years of your life, but I lived amazing things, you know, as a teenager, things that, incredible things, you know, that I'm super, like, grateful I did live, but honestly, it's not the, it's not the, let's say, the traditional uh traditional parkour <laughs> for sure man i think you would have acquired a lot more worldly knowledge and a lot more you would have been a hardened seasoned um kind of mature you know 20 year old when you when, when you, you you all came out of it because yeah you, you're missing out on the experiences at school and we all love our you know formals or proms or you know just time spent in the schoolyard mucking up and and playing around with your friends but the sacrifices you made clearly have, have aided you to become a two times world champion, as I said before. Yeah, yeah for sure. sure. The the impact you've left on the sport, man, like it the sacrifice was worth it. And if you look at all great athletes, like you look at Mike Tyson, man, I listened to a couple of podcasts on that bloke. Like he he was a different kettle of fish, but the sacrifices he made to become one of the world's greatest, if not the world's greatest boxer. Um, was quite evident from a young age, and it, and it seems to be a pattern um, and a behaviour that all um, great athletes pick up and 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 have to run with. So, yeah, in in saying here in hearing it from your own mouth too, bro, because um, you know, like I, to be to to be perfectly honest, Pierre, like this this might um, this might come across as a surprise, but. Most of the time, bro, you're a pretty hard book to crack. You know what I mean? Like okay. you're um, not not like not saying you don't open up. And we've had a great conversation so far, but from um, your from from my from my perspective and and seeing you in public, you've always had to hold yourself with a very like um, mature and competitive um, outlook. And it's it's been evident from day one. You've always been on a, on on a mission. And I guess I'm just only learning this now through our conversation of, of what you've been through. And, and that, and that is a really valid point. You didn't have the the time in school to kind of be a, 
Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely, you're absolutely correct. I think, um, like you this, I, I gain, I gain things in life uh, because of it. Like, like a prime example is, um, like I learned how to speak four language because I went out of school and I travel and I was forced to speak, uh, you know, in order to to basically live. You know, you know, every time I travel, I need to speak, and I was just meeting people, adults, but. This, the the impact and I re, I realize I realized it that having uh, issues in society was the was the biggest problem uh, due to that sacrifice of living school like I, I I know that I struggle a lot a lot of time in society because of it but it doesn't mean that I couldn't hang out with adults and this kind of thing it's a really strange um, state of mind you know it's um, but it's now that, I'm, now that I'm mature enough to understand all of it, which is great. And um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll definitely have a lot of things to teach my son. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. And, and just the experiences you've, you've just outlined there are going to be so beneficial for your son. He's going he's gonna to be loving it. Um, you know, hopefully mine's the same. They, they don't have to make the same mistakes you make and, and kind of push them on their way. But so um, back to the... Back to your life, man. Um, we've got the Rip Curl story unfolding. You sponsored them for for for, for eighteen years. No, not back to your life. Back to your bodyboarding story. Sorry, and um, you've 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 had that brand um, with you for a long period of time. But then in two thousand eleven, a main board sponsor comes on board, being Pride Bodyboards, who you you are still with to this very day, and you've built an incredibly. Um, incredibly flourishing relationship with them over the over the years especially Sebastian Bullard that I've noted um yes. you know has been the creative genius when it comes to all the pride bodyboard productions in in the last couple of years man like just to name a few like uh X to Sam Peninsula Holy Africa Multifasada if I can say that correctly with my poor Australian accent um mm, man like there are just so many cool things coming out of that relationship that you formed with pride. Um, and I, I just wanted to elaborate on it. Like what has it been like uh, over the last decade being or more than a decade being with one of the, um, one of the leading uh, board sponsors in the industry? Yeah. Yeah. So if we go back to the signing in 2011, it was, a, I mean, the timing was, was perfect for the brand and for, and for, and for myself. So I was in that like I said before, I was like feeling that um, moving f- from that team, you know, from versus uh, with uh, Mitch, Mitch Rollins and Ryan Hardy, the two biggest names of bodybuilding at that time, um, moving to a brand that I would actually be the number one rider would be something that would benefit me. Some it would be something that um, would be better for my career. Instead of, I was definitely in the shadow of them, which is completely normal. But I had this opportunity, and I and I and I and I seized it. It definitely felt like the best opportunity, and and that's the that the year I signed with them. I won the world title, so it was very good. Like we both have really positive energies um, f- from out of that signing, which was which was great. And Pride already did a really good job. Uh, previous to that, with, especially with the young, younger generation, they were really investing to kids with the, you know, with the motto, uh, here comes the future. That was really their, their motto. And, um, and it was great to move with them and doing well in the competitions. And from, I would say, yeah, from that signing until today, Pride just got better and better and took a lot of, um, uh, made a lot of right choices and uh, it had its ups and downs obviously because in the brand there's there's much more happening than just you know uh, what you see it's uh, it's a company right and um, yeah and I think what pride has achieved today especially in the very difficult uh, market I think um, what they do is really what bodybody needs it's the money being invested back into the sport creating um, video projects, creating profiles, you know, like that people look up and people dream about, you know, it's very important to create those, uh, those heroes, those stars, 
that 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 that's that's how I got into bodyboarding. I had those heroes, you know, and I think bodyboarding needs to do that again. And Pride is doing the best. You know, it's a different world, it's a different generation. Talking about a TikTok world, the Instagram instant satisfaction, instant satisfaction. It's different, but I think Pride is definitely doing what what should be done. So I'm very proud to be writing for them, and um, yeah, I think we have a yeah, I think we have a great future. I'm really really proud of what they've been achieving. Oh man, you should be, and you're so right when you say that they are doing um, the best by bodyboarding in this modern day and age. Like as you just mentioned, like all the um, the video sections and the productions there that are just giving those riders that are sponsored, like Tristan and Louis, um, Steph Kokolakis, and now you've got um, Liam Lucas on the team, which is another crazy good addition because, as you just stated, they're trying to build up profiles. Liam profile profile. Liam's sorry, profile here in Australia, probably in the last year or so, had suffered um, a slight hit due to um, back of house issues, um, yeah. previous brand. And so now, you know, you, you, I'm really keen to see what, what he can do um, with, with Pride. Only seen Steph, Tristan and um, Liam and Louis together actually uh, down at Aussie Pipe in the last couple of weeks and seen they were over in South Australia surfing some um really cool slabs has has got me pumped up to see what's what's yeah. coming too and that should be exciting so, so so exciting some of the footage and even some of the um the clips that i well i got to witness firsthand steph doing some of those air reverses at pipe but the one that pride just dropped on the instagram the last couple of days man like that's world-class boogan so you're bang on pierre they are doing so many cool things for the sport they are also promoting women's bodyboarding so well like isabella d'souza clearly is yeah. one of the best books going around um in the female sense and dude like it's it's it, going back over the you know especially in um especially in peninsula bro how good was peninsula watching isabella at um that beautiful shifty uh sandwich in spain i, I won't name um the location, but yeah. just watching her go ham, bro, and just stepping up and having the platform and the resources by this company, Pride Bodyboards, to demonstrate what she can do on on, on like a boot. It, it, it's not just you know one little avenue they're focusing on; they've gone full spectrum. It's so cool to see. Yeah, yeah, at least. Uh- All right, Boog Lords, that's enough PLC for one day. Part two's coming soon. So's a Riptide revival. Pew. It was all a pipe dream, watching bodyboarding up on TV, deep at re-